This is the Studio Alchemy Podcast, episode 100. Yes, we made it to 100. (laughs) The Alchemy of Symbols, an introduction. Our quote of the day was said by Gertrude von Lefort. Symbols are a language of something invisible spoken in the visible world. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives using the artistic process. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. My name is Addie Hirschton. I am an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach art classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting and my new book, The Alchemy of Symbols, that we're going to talk about today. To find out more about my projects, classes, and to sign up for my art newsletter, I invite you to go to my website, studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day. So the following episode is an excerpt from my book, The Alchemy of Symbols, How to Use the Power of Images to Transform Your Life. I'd like to share a special thanks to the Indiana Arts Commission for their generous grant that helped me to write this book. During the COVID quiet time, when I was disconnected from my art community, I couldn't teach my art classes, uh, and I was very sick with hypothyroidism and rheumatoid arthritis, which made me quite miserable. (laughs) I focused on writing this book, and the process of writing it really helped me to have direction and purpose um, you know, creating artwork, whether it's playing the violin or picking up a paintbrush or writing, the process of making things has always been an anchor for me. And it's, so it's something that holds me steady. It helps me to express myself in a positive way without wallowing in silence. And writing this book was the biggest art project I've ever done. Um, And it is fully illustrated with my drawings and paintings. um, And the process of making it took me over two years. So if you would like a copy of the actual illustrated book, and if you want to support the book and the project, I invite you to go to my website, studioalchemy.art, for a link to purchase it because it is now on sale. Woohoo! <laughs> um, but before I get into the introduction, um, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be reading the introduction to you in a moment, but I, I wanted to take a moment and share a story that was not in the book, but I was reminded of it the other day. So many years ago, I was I was maybe 22 and I decided to go to a camp for adults at the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina to do a week-long class on how to play the violin for contra dances. And I had just 
picked up the violin at the time. I'd only been playing for maybe six months and I was pretty darn rough at it. It was, it, it takes a really long time to learn how to play the violin, right? And um, I was, I was a newbie, but I said, I'm going to really learn this. And I went for this week long camp and it was so intense, the camp. I mean, cause I, you know, music is my hobby. Um, it's not profession. I don't do it all day long. I do it in short little bursts. <laughs> so, uh, usually, but then for this, for this camp, I had to play from, you know, 8.30 a.m. or whatever, you know, right after breakfast, all the way through to right before bed, practice, practice, practice. And then at the end of the week, we had a big performance where we played music for a contra dance. And um, I have never worked so hard on music as I did that week. And there was also a class taking place that week that at the, the folk school that was a photography class. And someone who was in that class had taken a photo of me sometime during the week playing the violin. And then at the end of the week, they shared their photography pieces, had a little gallery show of them. And the photo of me playing the violin was titled Magic. <laughs> And I saw this title, Magic, and I was really, um, I mean, honestly, for a moment, guys, I was a little angry. <laughs> I thought, this is not magic. I just worked my butt off all week. Like, I've concentrated so hard to learn this and do this. It's not magical. It's sitting your butt in the chair and doing it and, and creating it is work. And so I really balked at that title, magic. And, um, and then the other day, someone w came into uh, the studio and, and said something to me about how they felt my artwork was magical. And I, you know, of course, this is a nice compliment. So I appreciate that. But it, I just want to say that the creative process is not magic. It is love. You love doing the thing. So you sit down and you do it and you would rather paint for an evening or you'd rather pick up the bow and the fiddle and play than to watch TV or what any other number of things that you could be doing. If you want to get good at something, it's not magic. You're not born with it. You know, we, we have this idea that we're Artists are born great, but this is absolutely not true. I mean, I can show you beginner work by Van Gogh. When he first started, it's very awkward, and then he gets better and better and better over time. There's so many examples of this because every artist has to work at it if they want to get good. Um, so, so I just wanted to say that creating anything, you know, whether it's like this book took me so long and hard to write. Like I had to, I, I've just plunked out every word. Um, and, and sometimes writing for me is, you know, I'll just sit there and, and have writer's block. And I'm like, oh, how, what do I say? How do I say this? Ah, you know, I, it's, it can be like pulling teeth sometimes, but you do it because there's something important that you want to be saying. 
And so, um, so I, I hope that in sharing this story about the magic and the, the violin that week and this whole book, I, I really sincerely hope that everyone who's listening to this will feel empowered to not view creativity as something that you can't do that's outside of your grasp. If you want to do something creative, then do it. Or don't. <laughs> I, sorry if, uh, yeah, I, I don't mean to sound snarky, but I, I do think that sometimes people use the myth of genius as an excuse to not create things. And then they feel disempowered because of the way they're viewing it and the way our society views artists. Um, creativity does not come from a magical source outside of ourselves. It comes from within us, from our own drives, our own desires. And if you want to get good at something, you just have to take the time and the energy to do it. All right, so now let's start with my book. The next 11 episodes of the podcast are going to be, uh, each one is sharing a chapter from the book. Today we're sharing the introduction. Again, this book is called The Alchemy of Symbols, How to Use the Power of Images to Transform Your Life. In the summer of 2020, the joints in my body started to swell abnormally. I was sick, not from the coronavirus that was ruthlessly spreading all over the world, but from a mysterious cause that a string of doctors could not identify. I felt stiff and awkward every time I stood up from a seated position. It became harder and harder for me to open jars. Using my hands to grasp and twist things became impossible. Much to my chagrin, I had to ask family members to help me do basic tasks. On the worst day, at the height of the problem, I could not open a door. I felt scared and hopeless, worried that this mysterious problem could lead to my own death. <laughs> I was frustrated that the cause of my illness was not cleared to the doctors I had consulted. I wanted answers, and I wanted to take action to heal myself, yet I had to be patient, let the clues unfold, and surrender to the experience. One morning, I hobbled downstairs, slowly taking one step at a time. I fixed my coffee, drank it with relish, and went to the kitchen sink to rinse out the cup. In the sink, I found a dead beetle. His body was upside down, still and stiff. His legs were sticking up in the air. I picked him up and turned his jet black belly down on my palm to look at his back. The shell that covered his wings was soft, a tan color. He had eight black dots along his side. From a quick internet search, I discovered that he was a grapevine beetle. He was so beautiful, I decided to keep his little body to draw later that day. 
After placing the beetle on my art table, I promptly forgot about him. I bustled about doing other projects, weeding the garden, computer work, and painting. All the while, I was haunted by the mystery of my aches and pains. Every step I took and every grasp of my hands was like a tap on my shoulder by the grim reaper. Would I be dead like the beautiful beetle? When I was a kid, I had loved playing a game at a local roller skating rink called Deadbug. My friends and I would speed around and around to the rink, perhaps to the tune of Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Suddenly, the music would stop. The DJ would yell, Deadbug! Everyone would drop to the ground, stick their feet and arms in the air, and pretend to be both dead and a bug. I always rose to the challenge of dead bug using my most dramatic acting skills and suppressing giggles. Death seemed far away then. On that summer day when I found the beetle, a miracle happened. That evening, after lying still all day, he suddenly started wiggling. He was attempting to flip himself back over to an upright position. He was alive. And when I saw that my friend the beetle had been resurrected, I felt elated. I had a profound sense of relief and renewed hope. If the beetle could bounce back from such a catatonic state, perhaps I could bounce back from my health problems as well. I gently picked him up, took him outside, and placed him under a wild grapevine that covered a fence in the alley behind my house. Encountering the beetle in such a moving way prompted me to research the history of the beetle as a symbol. In ancient Egypt, the beetle represented rebirth. Since dung beetles lay eggs that they roll into balls of mud, Egyptians associated the beetle with the sun rolling across the sky. The sun god, Kepri, was said to be reborn each morning at sunrise as a winged beetle. Like the ancient Egyptians, I too adopted the beetle as a symbol of renewal and found comfort in the image. Whenever I was down or feeling stiff, I would visualize the beetle. I would imagine that I was also rejuvenated and ready to take on the world again. With time, I was able to change medications, solve the mystery, and heal myself. I was first drawn to the study of symbolism when I became an artist. Why were certain symbols appealing to me while others were not? Why did I go through phases becoming obsessed with symbols like flowers or waterfalls? Later, when I started teaching painting, I noticed that most artists gravitate toward certain symbols. They often repeat symbols in artwork over and over again like mantras. I've had students who repeated images of mountains, rainbows, circles, horses, hearts, eyes, and sunsets. Why do some symbols bring overwhelming feelings of ease while others bring an itchy discomfort? For example, the image of flowers always uplifts me, while the image of a dry desert landscape makes me feel uncomfortable. 
I wondered if these feelings could be explained by psychology, biology, or cultural influences. My search for these answers intensified when I started selling my paintings in art fairs and galleries. What elements should I include in my paintings so that they would resonate with other people? How could I use images to communicate positive, supportive messages? How could I best communicate my ideals? Symbolic art is a language that expresses what we often cannot say with words. Our instincts and feelings pull us toward authentic symbols. My goal as an artist is to express myself as honestly as possible so that future viewers of my work will see their own true nature reflected in it. I believe that the best artwork sounds an echo in the souls of the viewer. As the philosopher Ibn Hazim stated over a thousand years ago, the soul is attracted to well-proportioned things like itself. We are attracted to genuine symbols that reflect the best part of ourselves. The symbols that we grasp onto often reflect what we yearn for, our desires, our hopes, and our ideals. Symbols show what is important to us. Symbols reflect our humanity. Thousands of years ago, the Egyptians held the beetle up as an important symbol of renewal. After my own experience with the beetle, I felt united with those ancient people. Symbols can show universal ideals that echo the human qualities that unite us. The title of this book incorporates one of my favorite words, alchemy. Alchemy was the medieval art of transformation. Those early scientists, we now call alchemists, most famously wanted to transform base metals into valuable ones like gold. Additionally, they wanted to attain enlightenment, an ecstatic union with the divine, by creating the materia prima, spiritual matter, from incompatible opposites. By combining opposites like water and fire, they believed that they could transform their common life into perfect harmony with the divine. The process of attaining enlightenment by an alchemist was called the magnum opus, or great work. At the core of the alchemical teachings is a message that everything can be transformed and unified with the divine. One path to transformation is in the creation of symbolic work. The art teacher, Creative Kent, expressed this when she wrote that creative energy has the ability to uplift, unify, and harmonize all of us. When brought together, all symbols combine to show us the divine harmony created by opposites. Where there is dark, there must be light. Where there is day, there must be night. Where there is man, there must be woman. Where there is life, there must be death. When brought together, all symbols show how the elements of our world are dependent on each other. Each symbol is a thread woven into one fabric. 
or, as Kandinsky said, to harmonize the whole is the task of art. Alchemy is about transformation and unification. We all transform things. We take materials and mix them up to create something valuable and new. When we create symbolic artwork, we transform materials and uni unify ourselves with every other human who has ever walked before us. This book is divided into two parts. In the first section, I discuss the philosophy of symbols as well as how symbols relate to psychology. I share ideas on how to incorporate symbols into the fabric of your life. The second section of this book is an encyclopedia of symbols that can be used to help you understand the meaning of symbols that you may encounter in a dream or in waking life. This book is an extension of my attraction to symbols and my curiosity about why that attraction exists. As we explore the many types of symbols that are found around the world, consider what symbols you most identify with. What symbols resonate with you? What symbols resonate with members of your family or community? Look around your house. Notice what images you are drawn to and have collected in the form of objects. Consider what those symbols might say about you, what makes you tick, and what is most important to you. The rich symbols that make up your personal mythology can teach you about yourself and your place in the human experience. The alchemists had a saying, as above, so below, meaning that the outer world reflects the inner world. The material world can reflect the spiritual world. Your selection of tangible symbols reflects your thoughts and feelings. What do the symbols you have surrounded yourself with say about your true nature? End of introduction. So again, as I said at the beginning, if you're interested in purchasing the book fully illustrated, The Alchemy of Symbols, go to studioalchemy.art for a link to purchase it. This concludes the Studio Alchemy podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.